Well, good morning and welcome, wherever you are. Thank you for joining our broadcast. I invite you to uh, turn to Colossians in your New Testament, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 18 and 19 this morning. This passage is about marriage. If you uh, happen to be a Princess Bride fan, we could say that marriage is what brings us together today. Of course, they said it marriage, but I won't go there. You can complete that one there at home. God's instructions about marriage, as we find it here in Colossians, are very brief. Two short verses that summarize and and, and make God's basic structure of marriage concise. If you find something here today that is hard, remember it's God's Word. And if you see something that seems radical, just expect that God might want to do something radically good for you in your marriage. So we're going to jump right into the deep end. I know, I, I trust you have your Bibles open, but I want to, I want to just put these uh, verses on the screen for us. Colossians, not seeing it go on, but uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. First of all, here we go. Well, I'll just read it for you. Two phrases, wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As you think about those two statements, which one comes across as radical? Verse 19, you could, you could, you could say that in our culture. You could say that on network TV and no one would argue with you. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Yawn. Of course. But if you were to say, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, suddenly uh, listeners or viewers might almost faint with how backwards, how politically incorrect that sounds. Here's what's fascinating. In the first century, when Paul the Apostle was writing this, in the little Roman city of Colossae, if we understand the history right, the reaction of the culture would probably be exactly opposite of what we today might have. To to say uh, wives submit yourselves would probably have drawn a big yawn because Of course, in that patriarchal uh, society, it was assumed that that what the man says in the home is what goes. But if you were to say, husbands, love your wives, you might get the response of, Paul, what what planet are you from? I mean, everyone knows that that, that husbands do what they want. They make unilateral decisions. And and love, in the sense that we'll discover, wasn't even part of the equation. Wives just must endure. Yet in every culture, both statements are true. Both statements are true. So however God speaks to you today, 
expect him to kind of address or even arrest your assumptions. Whether you're comfortable with where uh, your marriage is at or whether you're desperate. I, I know that some people that will be, uh, some of you who are listening or watching today are, are not married. Maybe you were married. Maybe someday you will be married. Um, regardless, we have to understand that marriage is God's plan, the, the centerpiece of his plan for society. And so perhaps today we will need to rethink something. Perhaps the outcome today would be that you would be praying for your marriage, maybe a friend's marriage. It could even be young people as you try to digest what we're talking about today. You'll be praying for your parents' marriage. So let's take a look at these instructions as they appear, ladies, first. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, some of you, if you're looking at your scriptures, see the word simply submit, or you may see submit yourselves. Actually, to add the word yourselves might be grammatically more accurate, as this is a translation from the original Greek language in which we received our New Testament, because the Greek language has this, this aspect to it, which is called the middle voice. And the middle voice tells who is doing the action. And that's important here because it's wives submit yourselves. So what's clear is it's, it's not telling husbands to make their wives submit. Husbands in Scripture are never told to make their wives submit. Submission is a wife's voluntary attitude and not a husband's right to enforce. See, Paul could have said that very simply. There's a, there's a way in the Greek language where he could have said, uh, Husbands, subject your wives to your authority. And in the outline, if you're looking at it, I, I reference Philippians 3.21, which really is nothing about marriage at all, but it's about Jesus Christ who will subject all things under his authority. But that's not what we're told as men here. What we're told is husbands love. Wives are told to submit yourselves. It's an attitude of willingly following his leadership. So a husband cannot and should not force his wife to submit any more than a wife can or should force her husband to love. We have to make sure that we are reading what God wrote to each of us. Read, read, read your own mail, if you will. I, I was in a situation one time talking with a, a Christian couple. And the, wife, the husband essentially was using these verses as a weapon to control his wife. I can only imagine uh, uh, Christ virtually weeping when a husband would use this to justify some kind of mistreatment. And obviously, he had not really embraced the next verse about not being harsh. Or what Peter will see later will say is about being sensitive. Or what Paul told the Ephesians about loving like Christ. So, what God is saying to wives is about an attitude of willingly following his leadership. You see, attitudes are essentially deep-seated assumptions. And we communicate from what's inside. And so to ask yourself, am I, is that my attitude? Am I, am I willingly following 
or respecting? Because, or are we naturally critical versus naturally or regularly encouraging? Wives, your husbands long for your uh, willing respect. There's no guarantee this will cure him of his, of his list of faults. This is not about results. But don't be surprised if the long-term impact of showing him the respect he longs for begins to shape the guy you married. So we come to a suggested definition uh, in your outline. What is, what is submission about? Submission boils down to the word respect. You've heard me use that word respect. Because that's how Paul summarized this idea. In a, in a parallel passage. Now, we'll turn a number of times to Ephesians because there is uh, basically the same thing is communicated by Paul both places. Uh, Ephesians has a little bit more explanation to it. But at the end of that passage in Ephesians, after saying, however, each one of you must also love his wife, that's for the summary for the husband, as he loves himself, the wife, wife must respect Respect her husband. To submit is to unconditionally respect. What God is asking you to do is give the gift of unconditional respect. Now, it might take us by surprise to even hear the word unconditional paired with respect. Because, I mean, seriously, I mean, isn't respect something you have to earn? How can it be unconditional? I mean, my husband sometimes acts like a jerk. So, so sur- surely this can't apply to me. Wait a minute, ladies. What, what you desire from your husband is unconditional love. In fact, that's what God tells your husband to do. To unconditionally love you. That is, that, that, that in spite of any imperfections and faults that you have, that he would love you unconditionally. Now flip that over and you realize that what, God, what God is saying is to unconditionally respect. So that obviously brings up a question of how do you do that? I mean, with his faults, how do you respect him with his faults? So let's uh, look at another place where this same concept is taught. First Peter 3 now. So Peter says the same thing. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Uh, If you follow this, you realize that Peter is talking to believing uh, wives who have come to faith in Christ, and their husbands at this point have not. And so we we have a spiritually mixed Marriage, and I think we could assume that then they are not married to some kind of, you know, ideal Christian man. They, they are married to a man who in their unbelief particularly maybe have some serious faults. Maybe they have this harshness. So Peter, how, 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 how is a Christian wife supposed to unconditionally respect? You see that first term I've underlined there is without words. Without words. Why? Because respect is an attitude. So, so it's, it's not with words, so it's not a matter of you know, having to say, welcome home, oh wonderful, mighty, fearless leader. Your, your, your husband would fall over if you did say that. But it's about attitude. And, and you know, we are constantly reading attitudes in one another in marriage, right? 
Words are secondary to the attitudes that we are reading. Take the word really, R-E-A-L-L-Y. You come home, uh, men, and you, 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 you put out an idea. And your wife says that word, really. But does she say, really? Or does she say, really? Or is it something like, really? Like, I'm really thinking about this. You see, we are always communicating something. So are you communicating uh, disdain or respect? Are you, are you communicating encouragement or contempt? Because if you communicate to him a sense of contempt and scorn for, for days and weeks or months, the heart of your husband will sink further and further into frustration and, and self-doubt. Respect does not mean that you approve of what he does that might be wrong or even sinful. Uh, respect does not even mean, mean that you have to agree with him and, 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 and take, take your opinion out of the equation and you know what he says is obviously right. It's not saying that at all. I hope you have a friend or, or co-worker or somebody who knows how to disagree with you respectfully. Someone who, who can communicate while they disagree a sense of goodwill, a sense of uh, friendliness, a sense of we're still on the same side. And, and if, you, if you know someone like that, that's what you're going for. Disagreement is normal. Disagreeing respectfully is supernatural. That's what he's calling us to. So, a wife is asked to simply control that which is under her control, which is an attitude, and which is two more characteristics I've underlined in this passage. Purity and reverence. Purity and reverence. What does purity look like in terms of respecting your husband? Here's what it looks like. It means you're not comparing him to other men. Verbally, of course. But not even in your mind dwelling on, I wish he was more like someone. Because you put yourself in a vulnerable situation that what if that someone comes along and, 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 and gives you that attention where it might have been lacking? God has assigned you one man to unconditionally respect purity. So it's an attitude without words. It's, it's, the, it's the purity of our mind and direction, and then it's reverence. That term reverence, or uh, it's literally the word fear, and I believe it's a God word, focus. That is, this is what you are responsible for. It's your response to God in your marriage. So, so the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, all of those that you can do. In fact, if you were to read on in, in 1 Peter 3, and it's, it's a great passage about marriage, he would go on to exhort you as wives to, to don't try to be that impressive uh, woman of the world, you know, focused on outward appearance. But rather it's your 
respect for him. Now, one asterisk uh, about extremes. Respecting or submitting is not about enduring abuse. Uh, there are times in, 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 in abusive situations that call for getting yourself and perhaps your children to safety. But Peter is writing to wives with, with husbands who, though unbelieving, with, with their faults, would have some kind of basic goodwill. And I think we underestimate how much goodwill we really generally have for each other. A godly attitude, pure life, uh, a reverent life. And then what else? After first of all saying to uh, um, respect, it's as fitting in the Lord. As What does that mean? It's really explaining why we would, why you as a, as a wife would, would follow your husband. It's because you're following the Lord, which is another word for Jesus Christ. We've seen in the, in the book of Colossians that the theme of the book is essentially submitting to the supremacy of Christ. And so both husbands and wives, as they think about how to relate to the other in marriage, is thinking about how can I do this in submission to Christ? And so, ladies, you'd be respectfully following him out of your submission to Christ. So, so think you've been praying for your husband? Have you been for your attitude towards your husband? Have you asked your husband what would communicate unconditional respect? There's a great book called Love Languages. It's a, it's a great way to think through Gary Chapman. Uh, what communicates to your husband? Be his greatest cheerleader. Affirm every effort he makes to, to lead. Maybe, maybe he manages the, the family finances to appreciate that. Maybe, maybe he's the, the main breadwinner, or he might even be unemployed. You are honoring him for his desire to be the, 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 the earner, the worker. Maybe he's making tiny efforts to lead spiritually. Honor affirm don't try to one up him but be his encourager because peter has been hinting in first peter 3 that god can even work in the heart of an unbeliever through your attitude how much more can he work in the heart of a believer if your husband is is a, is a believer in christ and has the holy spirit god appointed your husband to in some way lead and for you to show respect for that responsibility he bears. Now, as our culture looks at this, there's a false assumption that's made that, that what the Bible is teaching, there's a false assumption, that the, what the Bible is teaching is that somehow women are inferior. Let's, let's, let's clarify that, address that, before we um, go on to what God tells husbands. Genesis 1.27, from the very start where God created man and woman. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are equal in the image of God, of equal intrinsic nature, equal intrinsic worth. 
spiritually. The New Testament, Paul told the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. That was very radically different than what the culture was teaching. He was saying, no, you are equal in standing in Christ. We are equal racially or in terms of gender. So understand the equality. And then in, in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians, there's a, a remarkable way in which he shows what this uh, leadership means. And he makes it clear. It's not about uh, inequality. Here's what it says. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Okay. The head of every woman is man. That's the part we are addressing. And the head of Christ is God. So let's diagram that and we see this. Here's a, here's a, here's a procession or, of what leadership means, both in terms of God as, as well as in, in marriage. And so let's read this again and think about it. I want you to realize the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Make an observation now about the top two on that list. God the Father and Jesus are equal. That's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just because Jesus submitted to the Father and was obedient to the point of death, Philippians 2, does not make him inferior at all. And likewise, when, when God asks wives to respectfully submit to their husbands, it is not about inequality or about superiority. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. While this diagram is up here, one more uh, asterisk, though. Wives cannot submit to do what is sin. I, I, in the outline, I put... Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where Peter says to the leaders in Jerusalem, we have to obey God rather than men, because you see, they were asking him to not speak about Jesus, and that would be disobedience. Don't speak, that's where I draw a line too. If the government says I can't speak about Jesus, I have to disobey. But if your husband asks you to sin, you cannot sin, because you see how that would violate even that authority that Christ and, and the Father have over you as well. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, we turn the page. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. If submission is not about inferiority, superiority, then what is it about? It's about loving leadership. Loving Husbands, lead your wife by loving her as Jesus loved us. Again, we will uh, go to Ephesians where this is uh, spelled out a little bit more. It first of all means leading like Christ lead, leads. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This is the same as Colossians. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So to be the head, lead, means to lead like Christ. Frankly, that should intimidate us. Frankly, that should, that should scare us to death, guys. To such a point that we would be turning vertically and saying, Oh God, help me to lead like Jesus leads us. Because here's the thing. 
Leadership in the home, men, means that God holds us more responsible for the health of our marriage and the state of our home. It is not equal. Leaders are more responsible for the health of the home. Uh, Football teams have a head coach and they have assistant coaches. Guess who's held most responsible for a losing record? We're the head coach. Here's the thing about a head coach. A head coach would be foolish not to listen to the assistant coaches on the, on the, on the, on the sidelines because, well, frankly, the assistant coaches probably know what's really going on. As I think through uh, our uh, decades of, of marriage and raising six kids, the only way I could lead, the only way I could, the only way I could lead is to know what's going on. And Priscilla, my wife, is the one who really knew what's going on. So, so, so if one of the children was was crying and had tears in your eyes, I'm, I might look into her like, "What is going on?" And she knows. So, it's not about me knowing everything as a leader. It's it's about being responsible as a leader. I think sometimes men are, frankly, uh, willing to be passive. Let her do it. Let her lead. That's the way it's been. It works better. Don't have to fight so much. I'll lead at work. Let her lead at home. But I'm guessing that maybe both of you are interested in something radically better than the way it's been. That's where we say, God, are you showing me something new, something different? Radical change can be good. Uh, one of my observations of these last uh, couple months with the COVID situation is that we have as a world and uh, as a country been shifted in some radical changes. But if I think we're, we're if we think honestly and, and, and uh, positively about this, this can produce some positive changes because it's so radical. You're forced at home with your family and you're, you're having to deal with issues that can actually grow your relationships. Radical can be good because it's hard. If things are tight financially, now for you. It can, it can force you to rethink and, and create a sense of financial wisdom that you would never have had unless things were we're hard. So let's expect that if this is God's will, it'll be hard. It'll be radical. But it can be radically better. Husbands, were called to lead like Christ leads. And that means that we are called to love like Christ loves. Again, we go to Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. That's the model, which, of course, is the cross. To give yourself up. So, so you know, we, about the time we as men sometimes, okay, I'm supposed to be the head, I'm supposed to lead, and we somehow think about a new boat or something, or like, like our opinions are suddenly christened as holy. No, no, it's radically different than what we thought. It doesn't mean getting our way, it means giving up. Our rights. Picture the cross. Uh, I believe this is why a Christian man has the best chance at a radically good marriage because we can understand the cross. If you put your faith in Christ, 
what he did for you on the cross, you know something about the cross. You know, you know that, that, that Christ endured being accused falsely. You know that he was persecuted, he was whipped, he was nailed, and on the cross, he was bearing the shame. He was bearing the wrath of God. He was experiencing undeserved disgrace, but he did it willingly. For who? For the church. For his bride. So we're called to be radically different like that. Again, the world's perception of what the Bible teaches about wives submit and husbands love could be taken to mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like what's happened through the centuries. The wives are just supposed to take it. Or like even the more, uh, the more recent Me Too movement, you know, that's the problem is, 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 is there's been this assumption that, that, that the woman is just supposed to take it. No, no. First of all, that's wrong. But secondly, what the Bible is teaching is if anyone is to take it, it's us men. If anyone's to endure, it's what Christ, it's to follow the, the lead of Christ. We're the ones who take it. We bear the responsibility. That's manhood. A husband needs the courage of a soldier who races towards the enemy because he loves his country. And so we as men would, would run towards any enemy of our marriage, any enemy of our home. And it starts with ourself, our own sin nature. You see, a soldier goes through training, and then he serves. The first enemy that we have to face as men is to face the, the reality of our own sin nature. So we have to face our selfishness. We have to face our lust. We have to face our greed. We have to face all those issues of self-will that might cause us to be harsh at home, to make excuses for behavior. And so we go courageously to, to face the giant of our own character. And then in that special way, we go to serve by sacrificing, following the lead of Jesus Christ. We give up everything for the privilege of fighting lifelong to serve one special woman that God assigned to us. So the question on our mind, men, is not, how do I get my way? But, honey, how can I serve you? How, how, can I, how can I give up something that benefits you? Because then that benefits us. When we understand sacrifice, men, it'll radically inspire the way we lead. And don't be surprised how it radically works in the heart of your wife. I think sometimes if only our world knew of God's plan, amazing plan for marriage, women would line up yearning for this kind of a guy. If you're a young woman and thinking about the future and thinking about marriage, this is what you're looking for. Someone who will lead like Christ, sacrificially. The world paints love, romantic love, in songs and movies. But it's all about making me feel good. It didn't feel good on the cross. Because love is a choice. Love is a choice to sacrifice. So, when it says, husbands, love your wives, 
It's leading like Christ leads. It's loving like Christ loves. And then as we continue in the passage in Ephesians, we see that it means leading for the purpose Christ leads. After saying that we must love men like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we see the purpose for which he led is this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless we see that Christ's purpose on the cross was not even for that one-time saving of our eternal souls so we would be in heaven, but rather he, he died on the cross to begin a lifelong process of cleansing us from the everyday dirt of life and, a, and growing us in our character. And that needs to be the goal of our leadership in our home as well. How can I impact my wife, my family, and future generations spiritually? By my leadership. That's the goal that we have. So we serve the purpose of our Christ so that we can spiritually impact our family. Does that mean that to, to lead spiritually, that, that's misunderstood so many times. It's like we, 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 like we think we have to be perfect. Wives, don't put that burden on your husbands. Husbands, don't put that burden on yourselves because we're not. And we never will be. But which direction are we going? Are we seeking to grow? But, but if we try to, to keep this model of perfection, we will, we will end up just pretending and hiding. To try to keep up some facade of perfection. If you're married, you've been in those insane and poisonous arguments where essentially we're like a, a, a corrupt uh, attorney just trying to prove how awful and ugly the other person has been and how lily white you have been and and it doesn't work you lose you don't you think you're winning but you but you you keep losing rather what god is calling us to starting with us man is the humility of understanding our need to grow we must grow first and it starts with transparency see here's the key spiritual leaders humbly must submit themselves to the word. As we see here in Ephesians, if we're going to impact our family with the word, guess what has to happen first? The word of God needs to impact us first. And as we submit ourselves, guys, to the word of God in private, we discover the freedom of transparency as we can share what God is teaching us. Transparency, humility will radically alter the dynamic of your marriage. That's what God uses. Contrary to the proud and arrogant uh, attitude of, of what society says as a leader, always having to defend ourselves, God calls us to humility. And we have no idea, man, how our humility will deeply touch our wife in ways we could never imagine. God is calling us to spiritual maturity. And we need to understand what spiritual maturity is about because that's what a spiritual leader is like in the home. Here's a suggested definition. 
Spiritual maturity is not about perfection, but direction. So therefore, it's about humility. It's about growth. And it's about taking initiative. Because these are the, these are the things that will determine the trajectory, the, the path, the plan that we have for our home, men. So how do you, how do you know if, if your direction is spiritual growth and humility? And take, here's a couple of questions. Ask yourself, guys, do you apologize first? That's spiritual leadership. Because when, when you, when you, generally our, our, our disagreements are mutual sin, right? So who's going to apologize first? Be mature. Apologize first. Be the leader. Do you ask for prayer? Because asking for prayer is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of character strength to say, honey, would you pray for me? Do you invest in God's word? It has to become a part of our plan because none of us is smart enough. None of us is strong enough spiritually to to go against the spiritual forces of our society and, and, and our, the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. And so we must be in the word to grow personally. And then outgrowth of that would be this, that uh, we would initiate spiritual ideas. We would initiate spiritual ideas. We wouldn't, wouldn't leave that, you know, my wife knows about that stuff. No. One of the key spiritual initiatives that your family needs is to be involved in the life of the church. We are the bride of Christ, the church is. We have the attention of Christ. He's working through the body. We need one another just as we need the differences in our marriage. We need the differences in the body of Christ. And and, and so regular committed involvement in your local church will resonate in your family for decades and generations. And the younger you start, the more impact it will have. Husbands, radically transform your marriage starting with your own heart. We're called to lead like Christ, love like Christ, to lead for the same purposes as Christ. But what does it say at the end of this instruction to us? Something that's tailored to us for some reason. Do not be harsh with your wife. Hmm. Humility is what leads to gentleness. Because when we're proud, we're focused on the faults of others. When we're humble, we're very much aware of our own faults. And with that comes a spirit of graciousness and, and gentleness. The word in the Greek language for harsh, uh, it, it could be something that's outward like yelling or, God forbid, hitting. That, that's definitely harsh. But this term is probably more about where it all starts, which is internally. It's about resentment. Do you resent something about your wife? Have you, have you become like, like focused on certain flaws? You've allowed them to dominate and, and ruminate because those are the spiritual danger signs. That's where you will become vulnerable as well, focusing on her faults. And again, as 
with, mentioned with the wives, to then compare. Compare, the danger of comparing. So be gentle. Be gentle. It's an equal opportunity sin, but it almost seems like this is addressed to men because somehow in our physical or emotional strength, we can cause the most damage if we're not gentle. And we see the impact sometimes in the the hurt of, of their eyes or something that's reflecting from within. But so, so harshness hurts, but gentleness heals. And, and there's another passage if we just continue this amazing uh, passage in, in Ephesians. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's interesting. After all, here's the explanation. No one ever hated his own body, but they nourish and cherish their body just as Christ does the church. We're going to take care of this body. I mean, we're going to have for lunch something that we think is best. We're going to take care of it. We're going to buy it what we think. He says, take that posture. And now, now do that for your wife. Because, you see, from Genesis 2 on, we discover that we are made one flesh. And so whatever Helps your wife, helps yourself. That's what it means, that, that, that he who loves his wife loves himself. It's going it's to benefit the unit that God has called together for life. The radical part of this message in the first century would have been husbands. Love your wives. And be sure to be gentle, not harsh. This week I was um, looking at a stack of books that someone had donated for our uh, church library, possibly, and two of the books stood out to me sadly. They're written by pastors who have, uh, have had uh, large ministries, who have uh, written a lot of good books, actually. Both have fallen spiritually recently. One of them uh, now denies belief in Scripture or faith in Christ. One has fallen to sexual sin. Both are divorced as the outgrowth of their spiritual fall. They wrote books on these principles. Marriage, biblical marriage, biblical purity, You see something? Knowing this stuff changes no one. What does? We have two banners here in the church auditorium. Communicating what we've tried to understand from the book of Colossians, that what our life is about is submitting to the supremacy of Christ. You can know all about wives submit, husbands love, you know, We can learn all this stuff, but until we submit ourselves to the supremacy of Christ, nothing's going to change. You see, God is all about transforming us spiritually. Marriage is one of the best places for that could ever happen. Because marriage puts us in a relationship that is so close, so intimate, that we are now continually with someone who knows us the best, knows the worst, knows the best of us. And that's where God can shape us so well. And God seems to have assigned to each exactly what we need. Maybe what's the hardest to, 
To respectfully follow, that's hard. To sacrificially love, that's hard. But that's where God does his radically transforming work if we're submitting to his supremacy. Wives, submit to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. We know, like Christ, love the church. And do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you uh, created this world. You created man and woman. You designed how society would be built upon the home. A husband, a wife, children, if you bless in that way. We thank you for that incredible plan. We thank you for how you have been honored uh, as, as we follow that plan. Guide us, Lord. You know our own uh, struggles and sin nature and how they come out in our, in our homes and marriages. And I pray that you would just transform us from the inside out and that there would be uh, in the days to come through the struggles we each face in our homes a bonding together under you, under your authority, as we see your plan accomplish its purpose in each of us. We commit our marriages, our homes, our children, and future generations to you. In Jesus' name, amen.